Hey, welcome here this week. This is the Mountain Park Church podcast where we cover content that we are discussing on a weekly basis. Most of it is captured live in our services. And some of it every week is recorded midweek from our offices so that we can talk more thoroughly, more nuanced, I don't think that's a word, but more in depth about the stuff that we're covering. We also take the opportunity to make corrections or to re-say certain things better than they came out live in the course of a sermon. And we also take the time to answer questions that have come up since preaching some of these things live. Today is gonna be a little bit of a different episode since number one this is the third time i'm trying to record this we had a glitch in our service live on sunday so we only recorded about the second half of it so this is going to be a bit of an intro here now and then me uh, reteaching this first half of the message but i already tried this once this week and i thought i had it recorded was super happy with it actually thought i did a better job than even live in the service only to find out that I did not do it properly. For some reason, I did not record the whole thing. So here's my third attempt. If I haven't introduced myself to you before, you've never connected in here. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at Mountain Park. Some people call me the senior pastor, although I'm not even in my 50s yet. Some people call me the lead pastor. I don't care, it doesn't really matter to me. Whatever you call me, just call me Andrew. I'm privileged to be on staff with other great staff leaders. We have amazing volunteers that are part of the ministry life of this church. And so I'm just one piece of the puzzle here, but I'm communicating the vast majority of this foundation series. So we got a couple weeks left couple weeks to hear my voice and then you're going to hear a change of voices for some of August and some of the rest of the summer. Okay, having said all of that, I want to remind you that the beating heart of our church, the mandate as we call it of our church is to provoke a deep hunger and longing for the presence, the tangible presence of Jesus in our lives. That is the direction. That's like, that is our North Star, so to speak, as a church. That is why we do everything we do. And that's why even this Foundations series, as we talk about the gifts, we're talking about it from a different angle. Everything necessary for us to walk in the gifting and manifestation of God. That's Paul's language, manifestations. I think it's a broad category that he's using to describe what these things are. These are not things that a far off God just kind of drops down to us. They're not, this isn't Santa coming down the chimney at night and dropping gifts under the Christmas tree. When we think about spiritual gifts, charisms, 
is the Greek word. We should not think about objects that we possess from God. Rather, we should think that these are the gift of God expressing his very nature and presence and character in and through us together as his body. These are the ways that God manifests, i.e. expresses his tangible presence and reality through the body together to the world around, to the watching world. These are the things that God does that express his heart and his character and his nature. This is the normal operating procedure. So as we've been talking about the power categories, and even as I say categories, I want to remind you, we hold that very loosely. Paul did not write these as a systematic theology. And every one of the instances where he is listing some gifts or manifestations, as he calls them, He's writing in response to some of the stuff that's going sideways in the church in Corinth or in the house churches in Rome, even in the church of Ephesus as he's writing to uh, this church that's being pastored then by Timothy. He's trying to bring some correction to patterns that are not healthy. He's not writing these as a systematic theology or a systematic treatment of every expression of the nature and character and reality of God through us. So that's super important for us to remember that these are not categories we can hold rigidly. So Having said all that, we do have sort of three categories that we've talked about. I'll come back to this in a few moments, but categories that express or manifest the power of God. So you could say that's the right hand of God if you were gonna use a scriptural sort of metaphor or illustration for that. Then God has categories of expressions or manifestations that express the heart of God, the love of God. We'll call that the love category. We're going to talk about that today. And then also categories that express the word of God or bring revelation to who God is, how he operates, and all of those things. The mouth of God, I guess, if you wanted to use that body illustration all the way through. And these are categories, loosely, that Paul is using. Now, We've been talking about power categories. I also want to remind you that especially as it relates to how some people will filter and contrast power categories with love categories, the more sensational and the more supernatural and, and more overtly powerful, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes there, more, more powerful expressions of God's presence do not equate to someone with a deeper maturity level spiritually. There's no correlation between the expression of a gift and spiritual maturity. Remember, this is why Paul has 1 Corinthians 13 sandwiched in the middle of his conversation about spiritual gifts, about prophecy and tongues, especially those two, 
Paul defines maturity by our capacity to love and specifically love our enemy or specifically love those you disagree with, love those you're frustrated by, love those who hold different political views than you do, different social views than you do, different sexual ethic than you do. This is the measure of maturity is our capacity to love those who we are diametrically opposed to in so many ways. And so we've been talking about this reality. We call this foundations because these are really the foundational, the foundational reality of all of these gifts is they're not meant to be things that we possess and then operate at our whim and our pleasure. These are meant to be expressions of the heart of God as we learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, as we learn to be directed by him, to be led by him, to, be, um, to follow him in obedience. And so that's why this is foundational. This is literally like ground floor level how to follow Jesus. When we are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, I believe what Paul is talking about in these things, he is saying these will be the natural ways that God will express his character, his presence, his tangible presence, and the reality of his kingdom in and through the body. So you should expect these things. These are not about deep maturity. These are about just walking in step with the Holy Spirit. So I want to come back to some of our key verses that we've been talking about with relation to this. I want to just continue to give a little bit of context in some of these verses and add some additional thoughts today from a new category that we're going to talk about. So first of all, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been there already, but we're going to go back there. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 and 28. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. All of you together are Christ's body. This is Paul speaking. And each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. We're going to talk about apostles and apostleship next week. We've already talked about the prophetic. You can go back to listen to that. Third, our teachers. That's coming up next week. Then those who do miracles. We've talked about that already. You can listen to that. Those who have the gift of healing. We covered that in the power category. Those who can help others. We're going to talk about that today. Those who have the gift of leadership that as well will be coming up here, and those who speak in unknown languages. We've done some extensive discussion on the gift of tongues and interpretations. But I, again, I want to bring us back to this central thought. So Paul is fusing a bunch of things together here. I think this is an ad hoc grouping. He's Again, he's not trying to meticulously form this systematic theology here. He's just lumping some of these things together. And our tendency right away is to look at some of those like the prophetic, 
uh, miracles, healing, and go, man, like those people, if God is doing that through them, they must be walking in some pretty deep relationship with Jesus, some pretty significant maturity. And, you know, I just have the gift of mercy, or I just have the gift of generosity, or I just have the gift of helps. So it must mean that I, I'm not carrying that same level of maturity that Paul is talking about. And I just want to say right off the bat, no, that is an incorrect way, in my humble opinion, to view what Paul is talking about. John Thompson, he's a pastor of a church in the Toronto area called Sanctus. He's been super helpful to me in how to think through a lot of this from a super balanced approach. He has a book called Convergence that is a great, great teaching on many of this. In that book, he says this, why do some gifts seem more supernatural than others? Would it be better to say that some spiritual gifts, say that some are spiritual gifts and some are natural. No, this is not our worldview as Bible-centered Christians at all. Our faith has never bought into the idea of a division between natural and supernatural or spiritual and unspiritual. For us, the sacred and secular do not exist as separate entities. We have an integrated worldview. Believers with gifts that do not look supernatural may feel like they must be lesser Christians. Many of you might fit into that category of people. Or that you don't know Jesus as well as those Christians with the, quote, weird gifts. As a church, unity will be achieved when we learn to accept a wide range of gifts that look and are utilized differently. Again, Paul is fusing these, what would be overtly sort of supernatural gifts and these gifts that are more ho-hum, I guess, for lack of a better term. He fuses them together. There's no distinction in Paul's mind between what is natural and what is supernatural. And in fact, all of these gifts, even today, as we talk about some gifts that, that have a very practical, pragmatic element to them. We're not talking about areas of your natural wiring or gifting, areas that you have cultivated skill in and developed skill in. That's not the lens through which Paul is looking at this stuff. So we've read 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 28. I'm going to just read Romans 12. 1 to 5 here, actually 1 to 8, and make a few comments about that as we head into things. Paul says this to the house churches in Rome. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way you worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So I read verses one to five to set up the context here of how Paul is framing and contextualizing these gifts. Again, Paul is actually talking to us about a lived theology. He's not talking to us about these things, these objects, these things like mercy and a thing like faith and a thing like healing and a thing like generosity and a thing like miracles and a thing like tongues. He's not talking about them as things that potentially we have on the bookshelf of our life and we can just kind of walk by and grab that thing off the bookshelf. He's talking to us about lived theology. He's saying, I'm calling you to live what you say you believe. And when you live in step with the Holy Spirit, these are the kinds of things that will manifest in and through you. These are the ways God will manifest his character. So again, back to Romans 12, one and two, um, Paul is saying, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Often, when we think of utilizing what, again, I'll, I'll use air quotes here, we call spiritual gifts or manifestations, we think of them as though we're grabbing them off the shelf and just like, all right, God, I'll take that down and allow you to use that in me. No, that's actually, that's like a dead religious exercise. Paul is saying, look, I'm not interested in your religious practices. I want you to know that what is acceptable to God, what is truly the way of worship is to offer your living body as a sacrifice. And part of the way we do that is we cultivate attention intentionally in our life on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, on the Father. And as we are cultivating attention on him through scripture, through intentional spiritual practices, through learning to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and be led by him, when we cultivate that kind of attention, then we are able to walk in step and respond to the Holy Spirit's initiation and desired activity for our lives. Then that becomes the driving force of our life. The reason 
that that is called a sacrifice is it means that what you desire to lead your life, the priorities that you've set out for your time and your attention, they need to die in order for Jesus to be preeminent. So a super practical way, every morning um, as I get up, I don't get up early like every single morning, but most mornings I'm up earlier than I would naturally like to be. I set my alarm for a time that I find to be uncomfortable and, you know, challenging. Every morning as I am wiping the sleep out of my eyes, leaving our bedroom and walking downstairs, I'm literally saying, Father, I'm offering my body to you now as a living sacrifice. This is not just propositional doctrine and theology. This isn't just intellectual understanding and head knowledge. I'm not just amassing information about you. I'm not even just agreeing with you, Jesus, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. I'm bringing my whole body to you as a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. I have to die to things in how I'm ordering my day in order to get up early and spend that first whatever. Doesn't even matter how long that is. Spend that first amount of time with Jesus, giving him the priority of my attention and my time is a living sacrifice. It's an ongoing, living, breathing thing that I am using to reorder the desires of my heart. Paul is connecting that kind of lived theology to these categories and these areas of the manifestation of God's presence. As we steward the presence of God, as we give more space and attention and intentionality to cultivate intimacy with the Father, to cultivate hunger and longing for Jesus, the outflow of his presence in our life will be to lead and direct us and express his power and his love and his word and his voice through our lives in a tangible way to the community of other followers of Jesus that are around us and to the world that is around us at large. And so uh, this, is, this is so key. This is not just kind of head knowledge we're filling ourselves with. And I mentioned this at the very beginning of this whole series. And I stand by this conviction. You cannot learn about the spiritual gifts adequately through someone else's teaching or a textbook. You can learn principles, yes. You can learn concepts, yes. But you cannot develop a deeper capacity to walk in the things of the Spirit without actually doing them, without failure, without trying, without stumbling, without wrestling with things, without taking risks of obedience and faith. And so I just want to encourage you with that. These are the things that we actually have to begin to embody and live, and part of that is offering ourselves, our pride, 
our, the, the way we want to be perceived by other Christians around us, our sense of self-image and all our reputation, all of these things, all of the ways that we want to be perceived by the world around us, we actually have to allow that to die so that there's space and capacity to respond in faithful obedience to the Holy Spirit, to walk in step with him and allow him to begin to teach us how to carry the manifestations of his presence to the world around us. So some of this category that we are talking about today, a lot of you would say, yeah, we're all called to serve. We're all called to help. We're all called to generosity. We're all called to these things. And yes, that is true. Um, John Thompson, again, in that book, Convergence, which is super helpful, frames it around this question. And I think it's really helpful for us to use this as a setup to what we'll talk about today. So he says, you know, second big question when it comes, excuse me, to these gifts is this. It seems like many of the spiritual gifts are actually things we're called to do. What's up with that? We're all called as Christians to do many of the actions covered by the gifts, but the gifts themselves are present in persons when they have a passion and unnatural ability or stronger ability than the normal Christian. When you have a gift, it's more than a common shared duty. It's what God has empowered you to do with greater frequency and power. You know it's a gift when you can do it over the long haul with joy, without duty, and with heaven-given results in many forms. Um, this is so key. One of the ways that you can know, that you can begin to determine whether, you know, which kinds of manifestations or, or expressions of the nature and character of God you are carrying in you, your contribution to the body of Christ. Now, I think there's dominant contributions we bring and there could be many secondary or tertiary uh, things that we bring into the body of Christ. But one of the ways that you can begin to notice is whether you're able to enter into things over the long haul without it causing massive fatigue or frustration. When you're able to lean into something and it actually fuels you and brings you joy and it brings you satisfaction, and specifically when you're able to do that in unseen and unknown ways and you're not expecting public recognition, public gratitude, public affirmation, when, when you don't need that and you're still fueled by this passion and desire to continue doing what you're doing, that could be an indicator that you are operating in an area of supernatural gifting, even when it's in this, the, these super practical spheres like helping, serving, um, you know, generosity, kindness, and mercy. Yes, we're all called to those things, but some people are able to operate at a deeper level over a longer, more sustained period and not grow bitter or tired or weary or jaded or frustrated. That could be an indication that you're 
kind of operating in an area of gifting. Another way that John describes our ability to kind of like put some pieces together is the rule of dots. And I, I find this is helpful. So he says, here's a way he's used, uh, this is a way he's used to differentiate spiritual gifts from spiritual practices, the stuff that we're all supposed to do. He calls it the rule of dots. We've all walked into an environment, John says, like a bookstore or bar and felt spiritually uncomfortable. Does that mean I have the gift of discernment? Not necessarily. You know, you may have been, you know, at a, you know, a fair and you passed by a booth where someone was doing palm reading or tarot cards, or maybe you stood on the street in front of a psychic store or something like that, and you felt this uneasiness or this presence, does that mean that you have the gift of the discernment of spirits? Not necessarily. That would be actually um, maybe a common or a normal thing. John continues, we all have the gift, we, uh, sorry, we all have the Holy Spirit and the scriptures and are very well able to discern at times when something's not right. This is the rule. He continues, when an experience of discernment is noticed, think of it as one dot. If that experience is repeated, it's two dots and worth evaluating. Again, key being on evaluating, not jumping to foregone conclusions, but evaluating. If the experience is regular and repeated, three or more dots might, keyword might, indicate this as a spiritual gift. I would add that we test these things in community. All right, we test these with others. It, that is so crucial. If the Holy Spirit is legitimately working through you in a consistent way, he will affirm that through others around you. You don't have to worry about that. John continues, if the experience is regular and repeated, it might indicate you have a spiritual gift. As a Christian, watch for those moments when you think, hey, this always happens to me. That would be another kind of clue. If you're walking around and you're like, I always just, I'm always able to do that. I'm always filled with joy when I serve or give. I'm always filled with joy when I'm ministering to the poor. Um, you know, those kinds of things. When I give above and beyond my normal tithe, I do it like I'm, I'm filled with joy and faith as I do it. That could be an indicator that you're operating in an area of gifting. John continues, this is from Convergence. After years of talking through and exploring the rule of dots, I've discovered that finding your spiritual gift can also be worked out this way. Where you tend to be angry in church is where you tend to be spiritually gifted. What bothers you and makes you a little crazy about your church is usually a pointer to where you are gifted. As an example, if you think this church can do so much more to help those in need, you may have the gift of mercy. Now, I wanna just add a couple of thoughts here to this. John is not suggesting, and I've heard him teach on this in other other ways, not just through the book, where he's added some additional thoughts and nuance to this. What John is not saying, I think, I want to speak rightly um, and not put words in his mouth, but what I believe he's going after is not those areas that you are annoyed and upset and critical about. 
in your church. That could be a gifting. What he's kind of poking at here or trying to peel back here is to understand if you have this like thing in you about a certain area of your church and you're like, man, I, I just, I have this passion to invest, like we need to invest more energy and time into making this a more vital part of the body experience, of the experience of the whole church. And, and it, it, it irritates me that we don't give it the attention that it needs or we don't give it the, the passion or exuberance level that it needs. That could be an area of gifting. And specifically, I wanna say this, this is not, again, just the things that just simply annoy you and that you complain about. These are the things that you, like, you don't have to voice your opinion about it. You don't have to tear a strip off of one of the leaders or volunteers or pastor or me, but you have this, like, this, this thing that bubbles up in you a vision for how this could be so much more fruitful in the life of the church. There's room for that in our church. We need you to recognize that potentially that could be the indicator of a gift. Now, I also want to say another thing about this. What do you do with that then? Here's how we need to do a better job of framing sometimes those things that frustrate and annoy us so that they don't become points of bitterness, of anger, of resentment, of hostility, of division in the life of the church. If you feel like something um, bothers you and it may be the root of that may be a gift. Here's the first thing I want you to recognize. Your passion for that, your, your, the level of conviction you carry might be because you are a legitimately, like that's a legitimate area of supernatural gifting God has given you that he has not given me or one of the other leaders in the life of the church. The fact that it's not the priority or it's not as good as you feel it could be does not mean those who are leading are doing a horrible job. It may just be an indicator that they don't carry that same gift. This is, the, uh, when I first heard John teach on this, this was a radical revelation for me in Paradigm Shifter. Oh my goodness. So much of, like, I grew up in the church. My dad, I love him as a pastor. We are very different in our priorities. We're very different in our convictions and passions. And in my own insecurity, even as a leader under him or around him, sometimes even now, like, as the leader of the church, I've looked at the passions he carries, and I've seen those as a threat sometimes. It's horrible to admit that. I've seen them as a threat rooted in my own insecurity, but also I've sometimes dismissed his and other people's gifting um, because I have not been looking at it through this lens to recognize A, what my gifting is, and B, 
the gifting of those around me. So, uh, you know, and my need to incorporate those in the life of the church so that we have a, the full expression of God's presence in our church. So if you have been experiencing this angst in you about certain areas of church life that you just carry this deep passion and deep conviction for, please, I want you to ask this very first question. God, is this a gift that you have birthed in me And if so, is my frustration simply because the the leadership of our church, they're presently not walking in this gift. And so I see the disparity of what could be from what is. That's a key question to ask the Holy Spirit. And then the next question is, what do you want me to know about that? And how would you want me to proceed? What would please and honor you? So just coming and complaining and venting and just kind of, you know, expressing your anger and critiquing and criticizing, like that's not the way to deal with this. That by default, and I'll include myself in this, that is often how we deal with things in church life. We just critique and complain and criticize Instead, I want you to begin asking God, how do you want me to bring this to our leadership so that it can become part of the life of our body? And if you do that with humility, uh, with gentleness in the fruit of the spirit, I think that you'll find there'll be a greater reception to you being able to contribute in some of these areas that are presently lacking. This is something I'm realizing in real time about my own leadership. I have certain capacity and gifting, and I've, I've actually been asking Jesus deeply about these things in the last four or five months so that I can clearly understand how he manifests his presence through me, what I possess, what I carry, and what I don't so that I'm less threatened to hear from those who are carrying different gifts that will actually complement and strengthen and build up the body in that way. And so I want to encourage you with those things just as a preface to where the rest of this is gonna go. I'm gonna now transition to live preaching me from five or six days ago This was now the details of some of these specific gifts that I very loosely, we very loosely categorized as a love category. Again, I borrowed that terminology from John. I think he's borrowed it from somebody else. I forget who, but um, we're going to hold that very loosely. But I would say, uh, just as I throw this over to what was the live recording from Sunday, these are not things... They're not less than the things in the power category, the hand of God at work powerfully. These are manifestations or expressions of the heart of God to edify, equip, serve, and come up under those that are in our community and all around us. So without further ado, 
I'm going to throw it to the rest of the live stuff. I don't know why I keep saying throw, but I'm going to transition. We have one, maybe two weeks left coming up. I hope that this builds you up. I hope that this, that, that this has been helpful. Pray, I pray that you have an amazing week this week as you continue to pursue the tangible presence of Jesus. All right, really quickly, uh, just a few quick definitions. Gifts of helps and serving. Again, gifts, I don't love that translation. These are expressions of the nature and the heart of God. All right, so these are God's presence through love and part of the reality of his presence, that his nature is to help and support. So the gifts of help serving uh, refer to the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical service. People with this gift render practical service in the church to people in need. Here's the key. They find doing it, joy in doing the simple and messy tasks others avoid. Again, a way that you might know if this is a way that God expresses his presence through your life is if you're good, if you are totally fine to help people in unseen places, in unknown ways, and just the very reality that you're doing it is breathing life and joy into you. If you're helping people with practical stuff, but you're frustrated because nobody's acknowledging what you're doing, it's great to be helping, but that may not be an area of gifting that you're in. And that's one of the ways we can know. This is the manifestation of God's presence and nature to strategically and practically serve others in hidden and unseen ways without the need for public credit in a sustained way without resentment or bitterness. So here's another maybe just idea for how you can kind of sort this out. Again, these are expressions of God's nature. Are we all called to be helpful? Yes. Are we all called to serve? Yes. Like that's just normal. That's normal kingdom life. But this goes further. This is like a sustained entry into someone's life or into a situation that is unseen or unknown and you're providing practical, very practical help. And the fact that they keep coming back and asking for more and more and more help doesn't aggravate and annoy you. That would be another kind of like just sort of Put that in the back of your mind. Is there some kind of invisible capacity I have to this where if that person asks one more time for me to, you know, drive, you know, then you may be helping, but then you, you if you're not operating in the spiritual gift, help, yes, but have boundaries so that you don't become discouraged and bitter and frustrated with people, right? So the kingdom is not about you doing everything for everyone, that's why we have all of us. The kingdom is about you stepping in and helping when there's a need, but also having the boundaries to recognize, all right, this is actually producing something in my heart that is not of the kingdom. Because when I hear your name, I say words that are not in the Bible, <laughs> right? So, all right, next one. <laughs> We've all done it. Don't, don't deny it. All right. Okay, the manifestation of God's presence through love, through leadership, 
administration of the gift of God. It's those three words are there, or these, those three descriptions, because they're all used in different translations. Here's what this is. In this context, there's two kind of different paradigms for leadership. One paradigm is connecting to, to kind of what, what John Thompson would call ruling or leading over. The way that Paul is using leadership in this context is connected to serving under. So this is the divine enablement to understand what makes an organization function and the special ability to plan and execute procedures that accomplish the goals of the ministry. So something really interesting, the word here in the Greek is the word, the Greek word used for a helmsman. And what a helmsman does is he guides the ship to the port and makes sure it gets there safely. So here's the picture that Paul has with this. The gift of administration is not that I'm really great with spreadsheets and I'm good with lists and I can just answer phones. It's tragic that we've reduced it to that for so many people. And then they're like, oh, I just have the gift of administration. No, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about, you know, answering phones and filling in data. He's talking about the capacity of someone to strategically know what is necessary in order to get from A to B to C to D. So the picture Paul gives us of that is of a helmsman. The helmsman doesn't tell the captain where the ship is going. The helmsman doesn't tell the captain which port they're going to dock in. The helmsman doesn't tell the captain when they're leaving and what they're doing. The helmsman receives direction from the captain and says, I know how to get us there. I know where to avoid. I know where to go. I know where the icebergs are. Horrible helmsman uh, with the Titanic, by the way. I know, you know, I know what to do in order to bring the vision to life. And some of you have this unusual capacity to, to envision, like you actually see it. When, when somebody talks about what they want to do or their future stuff, you're like, I know how to do that. I know how to get from A to A.1 to A.2. Like, and I know all the small things that are necessary to, to build kind of this ladder to get us up to the place where we need to be. The church needs you. We need you. So that gift of leadership slash administration or slash gift of guidance, depending on your definition, is the capacity to carry out the instruction of the captain without deviating by your own interests or concern. Again, here's a ditch. There's ditches in all of these. When you're operating sometimes in this gift and you you have clarity with how to get from A to B to C to D, it can be very easy for you to then take the reins and go, no, 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 I know, I, I'm now in charge and I'm now gonna take us to where we need to go. But that's not how this gift operates. So often in our, like in our lives, we get invested into something and then our personal interests and concerns begin to take over. But part of the spiritual nature of this, again, this is the expression of the presence of God. 
Jesus never took the reins in his ministry. What does he say? I only do what I see the father doing and I only say what I hear him saying. Jesus was perfectly under the leadership of the father. He wasn't out there like Rambo blazing through the jungle with a, you know, a machine gun. He was actually submitted to the direction and the will of the father. Jesus was always in the right time and in the right place for what the heart of God was because he didn't take his own interests or concerns into account. He relied on the father. That's part of that gift of guidance. The owner and the captain of the ship make the basic decisions as to the purpose of the voyage, the ship's destination, and what will happen when it arrives. But the helmsman makes sure it gets from point A to point B. And for some of you, that um, you, uh, a way to know when maybe this gift is present or this, this part of God's spirit is present is when you're like, you don't want to lead, but you want to come up underneath and support and say, look, I actually like, I think I have something to bring here. I have a clarity about how we can do that. And it's actually going to help us to accomplish the vision and purpose. I'm not interested in like being the one who's like doing everything, but I, the God has given me a supernatural capacity to see what's necessary before we get there. That's this gift. All right, next, uh, the gift of giving. This is God's presence expressed through love and generosity. The gift of giving refers to the capacity to give liberally to meet the needs of others and yet to do so with a purity of motive, which senses that the giving is a simple sharing of what God has given. The word used here for this gift, that is incorrect, what is underneath there. Don't read any of that. Um, that's my own fault. That's not Wesley's fault. That's my fault. This gift of giving is not the capacity to give your tithe. Actually, from beginning to end of Scripture, 10% tithe is the basic minimum. New Testament too. That's the basic minimum that God invites us to live out our theology of trusting him with. The gift of giving is actually the capacity even supernaturally to understand what the need is and to be able to meet that need with financial resources or other, some other kind of resource capacity. Often these people can understand what is necessary. Often those with the gift of giving, they're not, they're not, um, they give exactly what's necessary. They don't give less and they don't give more. They're able to meet this need supernaturally. Often those are people who are very careful with their own resources and finances. They're not people who are just kind of like, woo, throw the money, you know, this drive down, you know, downtown St. Catharines with a wad of money and just let it fly everywhere. They're people who are very careful with what God has given them. But because of that stewardship, they have a capacity to give well above and beyond to the things that God is doing. And some of you have that gift. And this, again, this is a part of God's nature. His very nature is to express himself through generosity. 
So this is not less than any kind of the power gifts. All right. Um, two last things. The gift of kindness. This gift of kindness and mercy, it's not an emotion. This is not about like, oh, I feel so bad for you. They're there. That's not what this is. This is a deep calling. It's divine love under the power of the Spirit, practicing compassion in Jesus' name and bringing glory to God the Father. Genuine mercy is never applied with a sense of duty or out of anger or with a scowl. It is cheerful service to those in great need. Mercy can be illustrated in the way we are moved emotionally and volitionally by the needs of another. The impulse to embrace a sinner is often an expression of mercy. So is the willingness to weep with those who weep. This is not just kind of the compulsory pat on the back, everything will be okay. This is like, I am, my heart is filled with this unexpressible compassion for you and I will sit with you while you weep. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to try and fix it. I'm not going to try and rationalize it. I, my, I'm just going to be with you. This gift is driven by this desire to allow the heart of God to flow through. Do you know that almost all of the healing ministry of Jesus was in response to this statement? Lord, have mercy. The healing ministry of Jesus wasn't like some kind of snake oil roadshow kind of, like come see the healing. No, Jesus was responding out of the mercy of the Father. When people would fall to their knees and say, God, have mercy on me. The expression of the heart of God was healing in power. I want you also, I want to just say this too. I, I could be wrong, which happens more often than you might think. Um, I'm not aware of an instance where someone cried out to Jesus for mercy and his demand before healing them was get on your knees and confess me as Lord, then I'll heal you. The mercy of God is not just available for those who say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. The mercy of God is available for the entirety of the human race that is under bondage, under the, the thumb of the enemy, and they're crying out for his mercy. Jesus didn't offer a prerequisite, you know, pray the sinner's prayer, then come talk to me tomorrow at one. That's not what he said. He met mercy with compassion and that compassion was the outflowing of the heart of the Father to restore and reverse everything sin has twisted and broken and destroyed. And I will end with this statement again. As a church, we need to hold two areas of lived theology well. We need to hold a theology of God's power that he can and does heal, but not all healing is guaranteed. God still works in power. He still shows up in powerful ways, but we also need 
to live in a theology of pain. That sometimes the answer of God in the midst of brokenness and pain and heart-wrenching tragedy is to be present with someone, not fix it all for them. As a church, we can hold both of these. We can pray in one breath for Georgie's total healing, which Jesus can do. He could do it right now. But we also need to be willing to sit with a family in pain and not try and theologize it, answer it, fix it, or sort of pseudo-soothe them with Christian Bible verses. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not helpful. It's not helpful to try and ignore it or minimize it. We need a theology of pain, and part of that is expressed in this category of gifts we've talked about today. These are the expressions of God's love and how he comes up underneath people to sustain and support and strengthen them. And some of you maybe carry some of these gifts and you've had this sort of perspective. Well, they're just, you know, that's just the way I am. And these are just the, this way I'm wired. Our body needs you. Well, I don't want to be a lopsided church that just operates in power, but that actually doesn't enter into the pain of life with people. Again, last week I mentioned that um, Jesus did not deny reality. You know, he let Mary and Martha suffer deep pain and loss with the death of their brother Lazarus. He could have, he knew, he found out about it days before. He could have showed up there right away. And they could have avoided all of that. But Jesus is not intimidated or afraid of your pain. He's not running from it. Jesus doesn't minimize it. He enters into it with you. And for some of you, you need to know that the, actually the response to your prayers is actually the presence of God himself strengthening you and allowing you to just walk another step. And that is equally as powerful as a, a momentary miracle that you would probably forget a year down the road and just go back to normal life. There's something that God does in our pain that cannot be accomplished through any other means. I don't understand it, but there's something that happens in our pain and he has given these manifestations of his love to the body so that we can walk with each other through pain. Yes, we're praying for the miraculous, but we are also present in the pain and in the midst of it. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for you to just, would you release greater capacity in us to carry these different manifestations of your reality? Would you release in us greater manifestations of your love and their expression to serve and to help guide and to just enter into mercy and kindness and generosity? Father, would you release these things in our lives? Would you release the reality of your presence in greater ways in our lives? In Jesus' name. Amen.